Welcome to Your Hell Yes Life, the podcast that celebrates women who are following their yes and living life on their own terms. I'm your host, Zaya B, best-selling author, artist, explorer, and cheerleader for women tossing should to the curb. With each episode, I'll bring you inspiring stories and practical tips from brave, bold women. So tune in, get ready, and let's trailblaze your hell yes life. Hello, and welcome to your Hell Yes Life podcast, where we showcase and celebrate women who are trailblazing their own Hell Yes Life. I'm your host, Zaya B, and today I am thrilled to have a special guest with me, Ariel Brown. Ariel is a multi talented, inspiring individual. She's a tantrika, musician, chef, teacher, student, explorer, and guide for those on the path of self discovery. She has created a successful business around her gift of helping others to remember who they truly are and to live a life in alignment with their deepest desires. Her self-acceptance, self-knowing allow her to fearlessly show up as her authentic self in any situation. And I mean any situation. Even in her social media presence, she is raw and she is real, showcasing her full range of emotions and intimate details with her connections and inner world. Ariel's musical talent and her inspiring message make her a natural fit for big stages in the future. So watch that space. I can't wait to see her on stage. And I know you're going to be excited after you hear her talk also. See, look at her. Well, if you're listening, you can't see her, but she's doing a little happy dance and she just so has presence. So in this podcast, Ariel is going to share her insights, wisdom, and experiences on living a fully empowered life. So join us as we delve into Ariel's journey and uncover the keys to unlocking our own authentic selves. So please welcome Ariel. Thank you so much for that gorgeous introduction. Such a pleasure to be here. We're both East Coasters, and we were just talking about the fact that East Coasters are direct and we don't beat around the bush. So with that in mind, I'm going to go straight in. So I'm curious if you can talk about what sparked your interest and passion to focus on sexuality, tantra, and desire. Yeah, well, they're all different things that are also all woven with each other. And I would say the entry point towards working with sexuality and my relationship towards moving towards what I want, I would call Tantra at learning how to be in right relationship with those things, how to move towards these juicy, meaningful, powerful, passionate things in a way that I stay grounded and rooted in my integrity, my deeper discernment, and also just alignment with the whole, alignment with the divine. My entry point to that was through my consistent experience of getting super lost and Mm -hmm. disconnected to myself in my romantic and sexual relationships. And often finding myself in some dark, questionable places that while it might've felt easier to just blame it on the people who were kind of on the path with me there, ultimately it came down to me looking at myself in the mirror and being like, well, Ariel, you kind of said yes to those things. (laughs) So uh, what's going on here? (laughs) And it was that, that self inquiry And moving through a series of relationships and eventually getting to a place of realizing that, you know, I've had a fair amount of sex in my life. I was probably around 26 or 27 at the time and had lost count of the amount of men that I had slept with. Most of them were in college. 
despite that fact, the amount of truly connected and pleasurable experiences where I was able to Oh, like let go of trying to control the experience or constantly figure out if my partner was having a good time and just really being able to exhale into my own body, let go of control, actually know what I wanted and ask for it, and then be filled up by the experience as opposed to like having the experience, it's over. Cool, but I didn't really feel anything fun during the process. I wanted to figure out what was going on there because I also felt deeply that sexuality beneath just how it's portrayed as like a physically pleasurable experience uh, is an access point to something way deeper than just the physical realm. And I wanted to figure out what was actually there that my intuitive self felt but I hadn't quite experienced yet. Well, you are clearly a mature person because figuring that out at 26, 27, I think you're, I don't know, at least 10 years before when the rest of us started to look at what we're doing with ourselves to create the lives that maybe we didn't want. So Mm -hmm. kudos to you. Thank Um, you. And yeah, it's also interesting just as you talk about sexuality that we act, well, I shouldn't say we, we all act differently, but often in relationship we're doing our thing. And yeah, we want the other person to be enjoying themselves if we're doing something. We're not necessarily hyper-focused on it unless maybe we're people pleaser. And yet there is something I think that happens often in sexuality because it is so focused on pleasure that it somehow shifts and it's not just about really diving into the experience. And it is so much, are they having fun? What should we do next? And so much control. And so I just really appreciate what you're bringing to it with Let's let all of that go and actually truly connect and truly focus on the desire and let the other person be responsible for their experience. And then let's see what we create together. Yes. And to really expand our concept of what we label pleasure to be, because there's a very, in my opinion, there's a very narrow range of what we're told pleasure is, which is like that peak climactic experience that you see in porn, you see in the short segments of sexuality that are portrayed in movies. It's portrayed that pleasure means that you're always in this state of like surrendered ecstasy and it's big and it's delicious and you're shaking. And really, there's this whole spectrum of what is available in a sexual experience, which to me is really about one or more human beings being willing to strip down both physically and, you know, metaphorically to our essence and explore opening and connection one step at a time without an agenda of trying to get there because there's actually things to discover And there's a range of feeling and emotion and sensation that's available to us that may never have known about the truth of who we are. But if we get fixed into this idea that there's a place that we're trying to get to, there's a way that we brush over so much of like the subtle nuances of what's available in the experience. And it makes me think of, I believe it's a WB Yeats quote 
that the world is full of magical things, patiently waiting for our senses to grow sharper to see them. And it's, it's such a beautiful quote. And this is where I really love looking at our relationship to sexuality as a microcosm, a microcosmic reflection of how we walk through this world and the degree to which we're actually present and available and receptive to what is really here right now versus how much of us is caught up in the idea of the future or reminiscing of the past, which is also like it's completely altering our availability to the present moment and the magic that wants to happen there. Yeah, it's such an interesting filter. I haven't thought about sex in that way before. And I'm curious in your coaching, do you find that kind of a full life, how people show up is ahead or behind of their sexuality? Let me explain that a little bit more in that I think there's a lot more chance to hide yourself, maybe even desire to hide yourself from sexuality. You're conscious of your body. You're conscious of, is this enjoyable for both of us? And all of these things that, again, getting caught in your head. And I'm thinking about how somebody shows up in their life outside of sexuality. And I would think that because the sexuality is even more charged, even more vulnerable because of, well, so many reasons, right? Do you find in your coaching that it kind of goes hand in hand and they can't, people can't progress in surely showing up authentically in sex until they do in life and vice versa? Which one do you think actually even leads the other? Yeah, it's a funny chicken or the egg thing. A lot of the people that I'm working with these days are people in positions of leadership, positions of power who are doing guide work, entrepreneurial work, leadership work, and really looking at this relationship between the level of embodiment we have of who we are as a sexual being. And to me, I would describe sexual embodiment as approval of my desire to feel good, approval of my hunger and my longing, the ability to actually take down physical, emotional, mental, energetic barriers that actually allow me to receive and genuinely connect as an unguarded human, whether it's sexuality or life, and how deeply important that integration is of who we are as a sexual being and who we are as a human being. And it's funny because I would say, you know, a lot of people think of the work that I do as sexuality work because that's been the realm that I've been writing in for so long, but rarely are we actually talking about sex in my work because, and in the work that I do in the group containers that I hold, like I'm running a course called Holy Desire, which is a container for men and women learning how to skillfully navigate truth, sexuality, and desire and intimate relationship. And we're four weeks in We haven't even gotten to the sexuality section yet because right now what we're talking about is people's relationship to their personal power and where we're walking through this life, giving our power away, abandoning ourselves in certain places, performing or 
manipulating or kind of fitting ourselves in certain boxes in our life in order to gain acceptance or approval. And the reason we're doing this, one, is because my perspective is that we live in a society that trains us to give away our power and feel like victims of our circumstances because we're more controllable as a population that way. All of my work is in service to the embodiment and empowerment of the human individual so we can actually be allies with each other on this planet. And if we're coming into our sexual experiences with what I would call trauma-led relating, which is what I just described of like making myself small to make love stay, giving myself away or compromising my boundaries to make connection stay. It's a recipe for self-abandonment and sexuality, which can be a deeply limiting to deeply traumatic thing that when we are carrying sexual trauma in our lives, it is inevitably going to cap our level of trust in life and in ourselves and in our discernment. So in some ways, going right to sexuality when we're working with people's ability to stay present in their body, discern what they're a yes or no to, and how to open to life without abandoning ourselves in the process I actually like working with people first in a way outside of the sexual realm because there's a lot of heat in sexuality. The stakes are high. So it's a dance. And I don't actually know if one comes first and then the other. It's like feeling into Mm -hmm. your system. Like, okay, like Zaya, we're having this conversation right now And I'm feeling into you, like, what feels like the most aligned access point to start, like, gently pulling that golden thread that's going to start revealing to us the trail, like, into your embodied liberation. It's clear from videos, which, by the way, you're ultimately going to want to sign up for Ariel's newsletter and listen to her videos. I was just telling her that they're short, but really impactful. And she has really great questions at the end of these brief videos that will definitely have you thinking. They will unravel some things for you if you really allow yourself to dive into them. But Mm. we're not going to cover all of that right now because we're going to leave you a teaser on that. So just a few things. You talked about power. And I know this is a word, you know, it's a common word we learn when we're seven years old. But I'm curious, in your context, can you describe what power means? Yes. And I want to give it in the context of what I think we're taught through society and conditioning that power is versus what I experience power to be. To me, the paradigm of quote unquote power that we're working in is where we're taught that power is control. Power is having more than the other, like more of something than the other Power is often associated with needing to have the upper hand or have some type, like it's control, dominate, manipulate, the ability to have the upper hand in a situation, whether that's in an individual relationship, whether that's in societal politics, whether that's power between nations. Power is often 
backed by the level of artillery that you have, whether it's physical, emotional, or verbal to back it up. So power tends to be associated with force, which is a destructive form of power that has been hurting this planet for a long time. It's, it's, it's a detrimental, destructive form of power, which can give people very com- complex relationships with the idea of power because we both desire it in its authentic form, but we also fear the corruption of it. Can I trust this power? So to me, learning how to be in right relationship with power, authentic power, and to trust ourselves to hold and wield power as individuals is one of the most important things we can do on this planet because it reminds us that we have agency, that we don't need to listen and agree with what's happening in the world simply because it's what we see on the news or what because it's what the mainstream accepts. Like authentic power is about rooting deeply into the body and being willing to to unhook the places where we're attached to being seen a certain way. Because if I'm seen a certain way, I know that I won't be ostracized from the group. So that we can drop into a deeper form of power, which ultimately is rooted in the deep knowing of the self, the deep honoring of the self. And the deep loving of the self, which is integral. It's been integral to my journey. What's really allowed me to rise in this is being committed to knowing myself so deeply, which means being willing to look at my own darkness, my own places where I self-sabotage, my own places where... Like in my 20s, I really was manipulative and would compromise deeper aspects of my intuition in order to get what I wanted in my life. Because on a deeper level, I didn't actually trust that I was worthy of it exactly as I am. And this process of coming into such a deep knowing of myself and such a deep devotion to myself. And ultimately that I'm an expression of God. I'm an expression of source. I'm an expression of mother nature, universal energy. I'm not separate. I'm connected. And my nature is pure. And as I've learned to live rooted in that, I've been able to let go of the defense mechanisms And the need to have the picture perfect image and control or manipulate for power because I don't need to defend myself. And this is the key, the willingness to let go of power through force or control and shifting into power as embodiment, meaning like I'm really going to choose to fully be here in my body and notice the places where I want to run away or the places where I want to react or grasp or sculpt the narrative to look better. And instead just like sit in that humbling fire of like the truth 
that's a powerful way to walk through this world. And it's not a finite resource. We all have access to this form of power. Yeah, there's a lot in there we can dive into. I'm somebody that learns by seeing somebody else model a behavior. And there may be other people listening who are the same. I'm curious, we have so many models out in the world of people that are wielding power in unhealthy ways and not embodied. Is there anybody besides you, somebody that, you know, we can look at in society, a celebrity, a politician, somebody that's known that comes to mind that you think reflects what true, authentic power would look like and be? Mm, That's a really beautiful question. There's a couple of different people that I could name for different reasons, but the one that's popping up in this moment is uh, Alexandra Ortega Cortez. And it's not even because I am like deeply immersed in her politics or ideology, but what I've really loved witnessing about this woman rising in power in politics is the way she's remained connected to her humanity and hasn't sterilized herself to conform to a certain image or a certain appropriate way of being. And that doesn't mean that she doesn't, she probably feels like she has to do that in certain ways. I really admire the ones who are willing to maintain their uniqueness and their humanity and their flavor, joy and humanness who are in positions of especially political power because there's so much conditioning out there that basically says you need to kind of like, you need to basically not be a human and like sterilize yourself from emotion in order to be in politics. Yeah, I appreciate that. I can see, especially considering what she's up against. And again, to your point, I don't necessarily agree with all of her politics, but because she has such strong opinions, she is then faced with strong opposition. So to be able to hold your beliefs and your strengths while facing that really could tempt somebody to shift into the other kinds of power you're talking about, right? That's the easy path of I'm just going to push back. And it takes a lot more effort and focus and intention to hold your power and not to get into that pushing, that immature, old paradigm. I could probably answer that question a million ways. But one of the things that I also love feeling in her is I really feel this preservation of her joy and her playfulness and her innocence, which feels so integral because often when we're rising and learning how to hold more power in the world, there's a way that especially when we're met with opposition, we can become hardened and rigid And I really feel there's something like deeply important around like a fierce protection of joy and our innocence and the parts of us that always have access to play. And I really feel like those are qualities like joy, innocence, and childlike wonder that have been like placed to the side as things that are necessary in leadership and evolution. And uh, she's always stuck out to me as a leader who isn't hiding that aspect. And that feels deeply important. Yeah. And I think 
it's important on this whole hell yes path, right? If you're not having fun, if you're not being playful, well, life is just going to be a misery. And not to say that you're skipping down the street every day. But I think you could write a poem or a song. I like the idea of fierce protection of joy. The combination of words there is really fun, right? Like fierce, it's just, you know, it seems almost in opposition. And I like the idea of bringing those together. Hmm. So I know that everybody that's listening is in a different starting place. So this is a hard question, I'm sure, for you to answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway. As women are on this path to step into and create their hell yes life and move more towards their power, are there like one or two steps or thoughts that you would recommend people starting on that path take? Yep. The two that come up is... One, to start getting really honest about the things you're saying yes to in your life that you're actually a no to. And this is, I have a course on my website called The Soul of Boundaries, and it's a baseline process of really looking at where we're out of integrity with our inner boundary system and why it's so deeply important to get into integrity. And the nutshell version is when... We're saying yes to things either verbally or non-verbally in our life that our being is actually a no to. It's one big energy leak. Uh, in a lot of my work, my, my tantric work, I teach about the energetic container. Some might call it the auric field, but that we all have our own energetic container, which is our own balance of masculine and feminine energy that's constantly flowing in this sphere. And the most important thing that we can do is have that sphere in healthy, integrated form. But when we're out of integrity with our personal boundaries, when we're saying yes to certain relationships or to certain careers or to certain obligations in our life that on a soul level, our body is actually a no to, we wind up having a perpetual energy leak. It's like a leaky leaky container. That one is just going to have us feel disconnected from our intuition. It's going to have us feel like our energy is constantly drained and like we don't have access to our creativity. It's also very difficult to connect with our authentic soul desires and inner guidance from that place. I've found that if we have difficulty connecting to our desire, it's likely because there's enough personal boundaries that we're not embodying in our life that it's foggy. And we just can't connect to what's true for us because we're compromising our boundaries and a whole bunch of other people's energy is in our field in a way that doesn't actually want to be there. So get in integrity with your personal boundaries and just you can start with just a simple list. What am I saying yes to in my life that when I'm really honest with myself, I'm actually a no to? And I want to give yourself the qualifier that for this list, don't let the fear of whether or not you're actually going to set the boundary factor into what you write. You're writing this list separate from whether or not you're going to instill the boundaries. Because if we get into the thing of like, oh my God, well, how am I going to do that? We're already clouding our channel. So write this list, giving yourself full fucking permission to feel how you feel when you're totally honest and you're not asking daddy for permission. Yes. 
And daddy can be many things. <laughs> that came through a, a friend of mine, Perry Chase. She said that in an Instagram story today. And I just was really moved by that. So giving credit where credit is due. Make that list and feel the impact of it. So the second suggestion, which is integral to all my work, and this isn't the sexy stuff, but it's the true stuff. Create space to be with the grief of how long you've been living out of integrity with yourself. This spot right here, I'm going to go and say it's absolutely unavoidable. If we are unwilling to feel the grief of the suffering that we have perpetuated for ourselves for years because of all the places we've chosen to be out of integrity or compromise ourselves because that's the only way we thought we could make love stay. We're not going to be able to access the deeper truths and heartfelt desires that our soul is guiding us towards. It's like the unprocessed grief is like a big clog of like shitty toilet paper in your pipes. You might get some drainage, but like Gotta clear it out. And it's not a one-time thing. I would say I have such a childlike innocence in me. I'm I can be such a giddy child. I have such access to joy. And I am fiercely fucking protective of it because it's needed in this world. And that is not at the expense of being deeply connected to the trauma and the atrocities that exist on this planet. I actually feel very connected to the grief of the world, both individually and collectively, pretty much all the time. So crying, allowing grief to move through me in a way where I don't even necessarily need to create a story around it. Sometimes it's just energy that needs to release because there is a lot going on in this world beyond what we understand and allowing for the movement of grief, the expression of grief to just be, it's a self-care practice, in my opinion. And being willing to either surround yourself with groups of people or communities or support structures like coaches or mentors that can hold that space for you if you don't know how to hold it for yourself. Having community, the power of community I love my one-on-one -on -one work and I fucking love the group spaces that I hold because more than anything, I find what people are really deeply longing for is groups where they actually feel safe to truly reveal the self, the authentic self, and be seen in that place. So those are my tips. Those are big. I've thought about boundaries. I've spoken to many people about boundaries and I've actually never heard anybody talk about the grief part. And it seems so obvious. And I just really appreciate you bringing that up. And as you were talking, some things came to mind for people that either don't have access to that feeling or it feels really scary. It may be interesting to explore other paths. So I have gotten into you know, some of my darker places, not necessarily boundaries, but grief is grief, you know, trauma, whatever it is, you still need to go into these places. I've explored it through freeform dance where I'm dancing and all of a sudden I find myself sobbing and it's not even a conscious thing. I don't know why I'm crying, but 
like you said, old energy needed to move. I cry for a few minutes and then I just start dancing again. It's moved. It's fine. Painting, art can be other paths, plant journeys where, again, it's not a conscious thought practice. So for me, it's been really important. I've always been much more of a head and logical person. And to get to those places that I've been protecting myself from, I couldn't get at it from talk therapy. I was going to talk myself around the therapist. I wasn't going to allow anyone to go to that spot, including myself. Yeah. But in these other ways, I wasn't consciously trying to get anywhere. And that's when they were allowed. So, you know, to your point, like community, but it could also be community of an art practice. It could be community of other things. So just know that this doesn't mean that you have to sit down on a couch and just cry for four days. That could work for you. But there are other ways. And often for those of us, again, who have been hiding from ourselves or blocking that because it just feels so big that you can't possibly dive into that darkness, there are other ways. And on that, actually, it's interesting. I want to share that the way I met Ariel, actually, is that I was at an event basically like that where we all were going to have a different experience. It wasn't about diving into darkness. But because it was going to be an intimate setting, we practiced saying no and saying yes. And Ariel facilitated that exercise. And it sounds silly. Like, of course, I can say no and I can say yes. But when you're with strangers, and again, it's going to be potentially intimate of sharing your darkness, sharing your needs, different things that don't necessarily come up, to actually practice it was beautiful. And I think for people who aren't used to saying no to even the most basic thing, they're more of a people pleaser, actually practicing, whether you want to practice with a mirror, practice with a friend, practice with your pet, you know, it may sound silly, but actually saying, no, I'm not comfortable doing that right now, or that that doesn't feel good to me, but how about this? Ariel, you can probably add in on yeah. craftful ways to hold boundaries. I mean, it's, there's so many beautiful pieces that you wove in. Like when you were even in the beginning, just sharing about different approaches to working with grief and kind of, or just emotion in an indirect way, like big yes to dance, big yes to movement. And really what this is, it's connected to the boundaries piece of, you know, there's this word embodiment, that it's a big word right now. And I feel like it can be this vague term that people are like, well, what does embodiment actually? It's about taking these ideas of the head. It's the difference between I know this because I read it in a book and I conceptually understand it in my mind versus I know this, there's an embodied knowing through lived experience, that it's not just an idea that I'm tossing around. It's a knowing that lives in my cellular DNA, that it's undeniable. It's unrefutable. I don't need to defend this because I'm embodied in it. And apply this to boundaries in the sense of, on the path of boundaries, especially when we haven't had them for a long time, this is going to be like a, an exaggerated example, but often the process of shifting from having no boundaries to having boundaries, to having embodied integrated boundaries is step one. I have no boundaries whatsoever. 
Step two, I'm realizing, oh my God, I have not had boundaries for a very long time. And now these boundaries of what I am a no to have become a sledgehammer that I swing at people and hit them on the head with because there's been all this backed up lack of advocating for my truth. So boundaries, there's something outside of us that we can kind of wield with an intensity that it's an important step on the path. (laughs) But ultimately, the alternative is not learning how to embody boundaries at all. Like sometimes when we open up an energy that's been suppressed for a while, it's going to be uncalibrated initially. There's a difference, and I'll see if I can transmit this without people seeing me, but it's like if I'm interacting with, let's say I'm like, I've been dating someone and I felt like they they disrespected me, they disrespected my time and energy. I would say unembodied, unintegrated boundaries coming in like, how dare you treat me like this and disrespect my time? Like I'm unavailable for connection with you anymore. It's over. To this way of being of, I noticed that didn't feel good to me and I'm not available for that type of connection, but thank you. There is a way where when we learn how to fully embody our worth and our value, as opposed to it being this idea of, yeah, I'm worthy, but I haven't really allowed it to seep into my bones. When I'm embodied in my worth, I don't need to defend myself in the same way because there's nothing to prove. So to me, embodiment is what allows us to soften more into receiving what we want and the ability to trust our own knowing and rightness of how we feel, even if the person across from us feels a way that seems like it's completely opposite and we don't need to make them wrong. If we feel that way, we just shift how we're making ourselves available to that person so that we honor the self. Embodiment versus force. I appreciate you saying that because I was thinking about that, not just today, but embodiment has come up with other people and I belong to embodiment groups. And I've often wondered for myself, what is it truly? And are we all even talking about the same thing? So I appreciate that you paused to define what it is for you. And then also giving examples, because again, the way I learn, and I know we're all different is I love, uh, well, tell me what it looks like. Tell me how to do it. And then I can understand it. When you just shared those very brief examples of boundaries, it was so clear on the difference in how we received and how you can approach it, that it doesn't need to feel scary, right? If you're approaching it in the second way of this doesn't feel good. I don't want to connect like this anymore. Let's figure out a different way or, you know, try and come up with a solution or not. Maybe it's that the connection ends, but you don't do it in an angry way. I think it would feel less scary to someone that hasn't done it in the past. I mean, yes and no. I guess there's the being vulnerable is not necessarily going to be easy and comfortable, but sharing in a way that doesn't have to feel like, I have to be like big and powerful that I'm allowed to be in my softer, more vulnerable, maybe scared, maybe hurt feelings 
And it's actually going to come across even more authentically from that place when it's like, yeah, that actually really hurt my feelings and I that didn't feel good to me. So let's talk about it. They're going to actually feel the feelings that you're having as you're expressing that. Yes. Versus if you come across in the like, I'm not available. Well, then they're going to get into defensiveness and you're not getting anywhere probably. Yeah. Yeah. And acknowledging that like coming in from that authentic and receptive place is so powerful. Powerful in the sense of imagine how powerful it would be if everyone on this planet approached controversy from that place, right? Because in in the aggressive thing, it's almost like, I feel this way and I need you to agree with the way that I feel in myself. Versus I validate how I feel. And more than anything, I want to honor what feels true in my heart because if I'm not, I'm out of integrity with you too. And that to me is, I would say, like my core value, probably it's authenticity, compassion, and integrity are probably my three core values. And it really invites this shift for people who have fear around letting people down or how their truth is going to be received. To me, a really powerful reframe that lets us shift out of like caretaking or like of fear, the fear of losing connection, a certain form of connection with the other. It's coming into this deeper thing of like, well, really the most important thing I can do is be in integrity with myself. Because if I'm not in genuine integrity with myself, I'm already showing up inauthentic and manipulative in the relationship. And that's ultimately not going to get me anything I want because even if I do get it, if I had to be inauthentic and manipulative in order to get it, then my system is not actually going to receive it. And that's a whole set of teachings. Like so much of my teachings and work are teachings on the energetic principles of how we give and receive. And to me, shifting into this place of like, yeah, I may have certain desires for experiences or connections outside of myself. But what I've learned is that if I have to get sneaky or manipulative or compromise certain things in myself in order to get it, I've already lost. It's already not true and not aligned. So it's this like devotional practice of realizing that me being honest with what I'm experiencing and leading with that in a way that's not accusing anyone of anything, but just like, I'm just going to take deep responsibility for what I'm experiencing here and share so that I can be in integrity with myself and we can find what's in integrity between you and I from this place. That's trustworthy. And I think one of the things that most people on this planet are wanting is to trust themselves more and to trust others more. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, wow, there's a dream for you and a vision. You know, and I think just to come back to something you said a little earlier, I think people also just need to understand that this is a journey and to be compassionate with yourself and patient. I know that I still will 
you know, act out of anger and say things in ways that are not ideal. And it is what it is. I mean, I just, I'm not perfect. I'm not there yet. Maybe I need to do some more work with Ariel. So just for those of you that are listening and that this is new, if it's clunky at first, that's great. It means you're doing something new. But, you know, when you're diving into something that's this vulnerable of sharing your feelings and expressing your needs and your wants in a very clear way, that's scary. And so actually on that, there's a tool I want to bring up, nonviolent communication, which has an odd name for something that I think is brilliant. And I wish it was taught to everybody starting at age six or something like that. It's a very easy, straightforward way to express your wants and needs. And because there's a model and there's lots of training online, it seems also like an easy place to start. Do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, I have a yes and with it. Um, So first of all, as a model, I think it's awesome in terms of a simple structure of how to express your truth without blaming or shaming. And what I've found is that there's a way that nonviolent communication can also feel like disconnected. Hmm. Can you tell me more? Yeah. What I want to feel is the embodiment Hmm. of the words. Like there's, there can be this and it's a nuance, but there can be this way of when there's feeling and there's aliveness and someone is bringing a truth to you that may be uncomfortable there can be the this way of actually separating ourselves from feeling what's being brought and just be like, it, it's like we can use the words as a way to keep ourselves separate from actually feeling. Yeah, that makes sense. I understand yeah. that. So what I invite, it's like the integration of the words with the embodiment. Because when we do that, it's a super powerful tool. Whenever I'm coaching someone, if I have someone who's sharing And they're telling a story in a way that feels very up in their mind, but I can't actually feel them. I'll pause them. I'll actually like, I hear you, but I'm noticing that I can't actually feel you. So I'm going to invite you to actually let your energy drop down from your head, down into your heart, your belly, your womb, your pelvic floor, and make sure you're feeling what you're saying. And speak from there. I'm giggling over here because I took a two-year energy class. And my main takeaway was that teacher got me from my head to my core. I would ask questions and she would say the same thing. I'm sorry, I can't hear you. I can't answer you from where you're asking. Get into your body. And if you still have the question, come back. And interestingly, what I realized towards the end is there were so many times I had a question. And when I dropped in, I was like, oh, actually, I don't even need to know that. It was this curiosity that I got swirling in my head, but my being was like, I don't need that information. It's irrelevant. I don't care. So it's funny to hear you say the same thing. You all just saved two years of classes. Ariel just dropped it on you. This work is not just about linear understanding. This is actually about feeling and transmission in the body. That when we can just drop out of, oh, I'm just going to talk about this story for years on end, and I'm actually going to drop into the somatics of the body and actually be able to feel and locate the places where I have been carrying and like locking up this story and this identity that's been shaping my whole reality for years. And I can actually start shifting and releasing that energy, feeling and vibrational blueprint from my body. 
if we're only addressing the mental and we're not integrating like the mind, body, emotion, energetic realm, we're not actually shifting the thing. So as you're listening to this podcast, and perhaps you'll go back again, I invite you to listen with yourselves. Hmm. Drop out of the mind and notice if you can actually soften your body. Uh, The way I describe it, and sometimes I do meditations often, and you know how you can, there's a way that you can soften your gaze when you're looking at something and like it kind of gets like fuzzy and blurry, but you also open your periphery. I do guided meditations sometimes where I invite people to soften the gaze of every cell in their body. Notice how that shifts what you feel, your level of receptivity and attunement. It's a different realm. And it's starting to tap into that W.B. Yeats quote of the world is full of magical things, patiently waiting for our senses to grow sharper to see them. Wow. Okay, that feels like a beautiful place to end. I think we could talk and talk, but that just feels like such a sweet little bow on top. Thank you so much for your time today. It has just been beyond what I could have imagined. I am sure that the listeners got a ton out of this. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. Such a pleasure to be here. Thank you for tuning in. I really appreciate you being here. That's it for this episode of Your Hell Yes Life. I hope it inspired you to keep trailblazing your unique path. I have some fantastic episodes coming up, so don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. If you want to help spread the Hell Yes magic, please leave a rating and review there as well, and share the podcast with your family and friends. Let's make this a movement, and remember, always be brave and true to your Hell Yes!